Happy spring break, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Sweet. Good to see all you. Fresh face, huh? What do you know? People are doing double takes on me all night. It looks like a really old baby. First time I've shaved in like a year and a half, so get over it. Uh, welcome to Salt Company. If you're new tonight, my name is Ryan. Super happy that you are here kicking off your spring break with us, braving the elements and getting out to Veritas. So uh, a little intro to Salt Company about who we are. Bit of a disclaimer, a bit of a warning right here, okay? We, at this church, in this ministry, we, belo- we believe in a lot of wild things. We believe, actually believe, like literally stake our life on this, that the God of the universe and all of his power and all of his wisdom actually became a man like us, lived a perfect life, chose to die in our place to pay for our sins, and that he actually rose from the grave three days later. We actually believe that. And we actually believe that if you put your faith and you say, oh, what you just said, I believe that, and I actually want to follow that Lord, we believe that he will raise you up from the dead as well. That's wild. Not only that, but we believe that God actually gave us this book, the Bible, that we talk out of every week. And we believe all of the stories in there. We believe that God actually parted the sea in the wilderness so that his people would run through away from their enemies on dry ground. We believe that some guys were thrown into a fire and God didn't let them burn. We believe that one of God's followers was thrown into a den of lions and God actually didn't let the lions eat him. He shut their mouths. We actually believe all that. But there's one thing that I can't say with confidence that we actually believe. I cannot say with confidence that we believe this, that you can be single and be truly happy. Why do we believe that, or not believe that rather? Why do we believe that it is impossible, especially in our college years, that singleness is the token curse of our generation? That it's the the thing that's easiest to get a laugh, and in our private time, it's the easiest thing to get a cry. Why do we believe this about singleness? Well, two great men have kind of spoken into this matter. This idea of singleness, relationships, love, all that stuff. Two great men have spoken into it, and one of them, I think, has shaped our generation for the worse, and the other, hopefully after tonight, will shape it for the better. And so the first great man is named Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is a great, great man. At my house, we watch a lot of Tom Cruise movies. But there's one that I refuse to watch. It's called Jerry Maguire. Because in Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise lays down a line just three words long that is poison to an an entire generation, an entire culture. And as he's standing there at the end of this movie, I guess, like I said, I will not watch this because I think I might like it. He's looking at Renee Zellweger, or whatever her name, however you say her name, with tears in his eyes. And he says, you complete me. Mm, wow. That's romanticism at its finest, is it not? You complete, what, what, what better words could you ever say to a woman than you complete me? Tom Cruise knows what he's doing, to which she replies, not that it matters, you had me at hello. Gosh, doesn't get any better than that. 
What those three words are saying is a lot. He's giving a whole sermon with those three words. And he's pretty much affirming that not only is singleness bad, but actually if you are single, you are not complete. That's pretty wild. Tom Cruise is our first great man, but he kind of goes toe-to-toe tonight with another great man, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9, he has a little bit different take on what singleness is all about. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7, I wish that all people were as I am, single. That's not very romantic. But each has his own gift, circle that word gift, from God. One person has this gift, another has that. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good, good for them to remain as I am. But if they cannot have self-control, they should marry, since it's better to marry, I guess, than to burn with desire. Hollywood says one thing, that you are incomplete. God says the opposite, that it is actually a good gift for you. Who are we going to believe? Tonight, I'm picking a fight with Tom Cruise. I've wanted to say that for a long time, and it feels good. Tonight, we're picking a fight with Tom Cruise. Specifically, I want to fight for the idea that the Christian can actually be single and truly happy. Now, before we step into the ring and rumble a bit, before this, this fight really gets underway, let's wrap our hands up, let's get warmed up. Let me give you some disclaimers about where we're going tonight. Okay, I'm not talking about happiness when I say like the Christian can be happy and single. I'm not talking about happiness like, uh, like a mood. Like the, I don't think like a revival breaking out tonight will look like, oh my gosh, I really want to be single and I'm going to break up because singleness just, man, Ryan sold me. Singleness is better. I think I want to, no, I'm not talking about even being excited necessarily about singleness. I'm talking about something deeper, contentment, like wholeness, fullness, completeness in Tom's words. Okay, another disclaimer. Who is this message for? Not just singles. It's for singles, and it's for the lovebirds alike, okay? All of us who are here are creating culture, whether you know it or not. The way we talk about dating, marriage, and singleness in our connection groups and in our friendships is creating a culture here. And so for us to be better rooted in the Bible not only helps us understand one another better and kind of like what we're feeling and going through, even if you're in different stages of life, it's actually good to know what to celebrate and to see how God sees singleness. Next disclaimer, when I say the gift of singleness, that can sound a little weird. God is a gift giver, and this gift of singleness is indeed a gift. I am not going to go up and down the rows tonight, look at you one at a time and say, not have the gift of singleness, not, not maybe as a gift. I'm not going to tell you, what that about got weird when I was making eye contact with an engaged man. Um, not have the gift of singleness. If you are single tonight, all I can say about you is that at least for tonight, you have a gift of singleness. That's how I'm viewing the gift of singleness. And my final disclaimer is a warning, a fair warning, that I'm kind of excited about this sermon. (laughs) I uh, think it's important to understand this. I've learned a lot from this. And I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about singleness. You say, Ryan, that's not true. I say, well, maybe I have. 
but I blocked them all out because I hated all of them, okay? And so, here goes nothing. If you're into cheesy titles for sermons, tonight is your night. Every once in a while, I'll get one of these, and here it is. The title of tonight's sermon is Single and Happy, A Fight Worth Fighting. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a joke. That was a serious title. Single and Happy, A Fight Worth Fighting. Okay, let me ask you this. Maybe some of you come from big families, you have a bunch of nieces and nephews or very young siblings, but have you ever seen a kid open up a present on Christmas morning? And right when they open it up, they just start crying. It's so sad, but it's also hilarious. There's something just so funny about watching Kid open it up, excited. Kid open it up, excited. Finally get out of the row. This kid opens up like socks or something. He looks at the toys that his brothers and sisters has and he starts crying. Yes, it's sad, but it's also hilarious. And if I'm being honest, I think that's the way most of us view the gift of singleness. Why does everybody have the same gift except for me? Like Buddy the Elf, everybody seems to have the same talent except for me. I don't get it and we start to compare ourselves with one another, and actually the gift that has been given to us, we start to see as a curse. When you receive this gift of singleness, hear me say this, you are not actually receiving a curse, you are receiving a calling. First Corinthians seven actually goes on. I wanna read verses 32 through 34, so we skip maybe a page in your Bible, and Paul kind of picks up the topic a little bit more when he says this. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of this world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world how she may please her husband. The single Christian is called into a single-focused life. That's what we read here. A single-focused life on what? The things of the Lord and his kingdom. Now this passage, this chunk of verses here, it kind of presents a problem for us. Okay, it makes very, very clear that comparison amongst married people, unmarried people, single people, and not single people, it makes it very clear that comparison amongst Christians is completely nonsensical, right? It's like, hey, single people, you need to hear this. Marriage is actually really, really hard. If you were here last week and you got to see the fireworks show that was the panel, you know all about marriage might not be everything that the movies make it out to be. Marriage is really, really hard. And Paul isn't downing marriage here. He isn't saying marriage is bad, but he's saying the weight that you're carrying in life, it's almost like you're putting on more weight. Is it a worthy endeavor? Absolutely. But it's hard. Not only are you shepherding your own walk with the Lord and worried about your own soul, but you are not binding yourself to another. And that is very difficult. It's a hard thing. The grass is not always greener on the other side. And he's saying to married people, hey, don't be all high and mighty. Singleness is actually really hard. 
You see that? He doesn't say anything like, oh, singleness? Dude, it's all about freedom. It's all about the road trips. It's all about like having one unending sleepover where nobody tells you what to do. It's kind of true. That's not the point of the passage. He's talking about a calling, a special calling. One that's not actually bad. Interesting. How is it not bad? Well, the single person is called, or think of it maybe as like enlisted to a great mission. A single focus life to do something very specific. Please Jesus. To give more attention, more zeal, more of your mind and your heart to please Jesus. In other words, hey, single people, you don't actually need to look over longingly at that perfect married couple across the row anymore. No, because while you trust God in your singleness, while you are enlisted to this great calling, there's actually something better to focus on in the meantime. The problem tonight, guys, is not the gift of singleness. That is not the curse to avoid. The problem is us comparing the gift that we have received to the gifts that others have received. I think we get so concerned with who has what, who has who, that we don't actually see or enjoy the gift that's right in front of us. We don't stop to think that maybe, just maybe God has us where we are for the sake of his kingdom, not ours. Elizabeth Elliot, this beast of a woman, wrote this great quote here in her book, Let Me Be a Woman. <laughs> I've not, I've not, I'm sorry, I've not read the book, <laughs> but the quote's great. <laughs> Having, <laughs> just figure you walk into a coffee shop and see me reading that book. <laughs> What's up guys? <laughs> All right, this is what Elizabeth Elliot says. Having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift. Not one that I would choose. Not one many women would choose. But we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. It is within the sphere of circumstances he chooses us, single, married, widowed, that we receive him. It is there and nowhere else that he makes himself known to us. It is there we are allowed to serve him. Single people, your season of singleness, whether it be an entire semester, God forbid, 41 years like Elizabeth Elliot, or up until the day that you die on this earth, could have eternal implications. And we actually tonight may be at risk of never knowing those eternal implications because we are so busy comparing our situation to others. Friends, comparison makes real contentment impossible. Comparison makes real contentment impossible. In our fight tonight for the idea that the Christian can be single and truly happy, round number one in that fight is this. Fight against comparison. Fight against comparison. I'm gonna throw a picture on the screen. Do you know who this is? You know who that is? Of course you do. Of course you know who that is. 
everybody knows who that is. That's the best couple in the world. That's Ryan Reynolds from The Proposal and Blake Lively from whatever she's in. Gossip Girl? I don't know. Yeah, somebody said, what the heck? I Google image this because of course when I think of perfect couple, this is who I think of. I mean, look at them. And you know when you click on Google image and you can see like a little title from like the website it came from? The title of the article on Vogue that this came from was literally titled, I kid you not, I want what they have. And my question is, how could you not? They're funnier than you. They're richer than you. They're hotter than you. But guess what, dang it? They might fight sometimes. They might not actually have it all together. They might snore, they might smell. We don't know half of it, do we? Marriage. Probably the marriage that they even have is a great thing. But I'm telling you, marriage does not cure the sin of comparison. It's not actually primarily about your circumstances that is the problem. It's in your heart. I'm telling you that discontent people get married all the time. Discontent people get married all the time and five years pass and they're still discontent. And 10 years pass and 20 years pass and 50 years pass and they're still discontent and I don't wanna tell you where that leads next. We need to fight now. And so here's a couple tips on fighting against comparison. Okay, just wanted to make sure they took that picture down because I might get a little insecure. Um, here's some tips for fighting comparison. Tip number one, fight comparing your worst to someone else's best. Fight against comparing your worst to someone else's best, okay? A picture like that one that we showed up there might say a thousand words, but that's all it says. There's actually a lot more that that picture is not saying, right? In our lonely beds at night, one picture can taunt us, can taunt us with a better life than the one that we were given. And even lovebirds, you know this. After that fight, after that tension between you and your significant other, that kind of loveless spell or that lack of passion that maybe you felt in prior times, how true is this even for you? It's so easy to compare your lows with somebody else's highs. I'm telling you, you have a photo album with not just photos of yourself, but your phone has photos of everybody on earth. People who are literally paid money to take attractive pictures of their marriage and their relationships to show you what you could have. I'm telling you, don't buy it. If your phone especially in the dark of the night, is not making you a more content person. You need to ask the hard question, why do you even have it? Fight comparing your worst to someone else's best. Second tip, fight comparing someone's timetable with yours, okay? This one's tough. To the lonely person who is here tonight, who is genuinely fighting against comparison, hear me say this to you. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. Charles Spurgeon said this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you find yourself, divine love would have placed you there. 
God's timing is perfect. He loves you. And he has a really, really good plan for you. Even better than what you think you're missing out on in the moment. Guys, stop blaming yourself for being single. Maybe you would never say this out loud, but you know those thoughts creeping up, oh man, if I was just as pretty as her, I would totally get the dude. Or if I was just as cool as that guy, I would get the girl. If I was just as tall as that guy, if I had as much hair as that guy, I would get the girl. Stop blaming yourself for being single. Like Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot said earlier, we're just here to receive gifts. It is God who does the gift giving. Time, last thing I'll say about this, has always been a terrible comparison measurement or whatever. Terrible. Like even right now, guys, do you know that in this year, in our country, there is like a five-year difference of average like time to get married for men and women, okay? So for example, in Utah right now, the average age for a man to get married is 25.6 years old, okay? In New York, the average age for a man to get married is 30.3 years old. So you could be a normal guy in New York, road trip to Utah, and because you're single, people will think you are over the hill and washed up. That's just in our own country. If you're wondering, the average male in Iowa is 27.4. Crap, so close. <laughs> Time is a terrible comparison. God knows what he is doing. And he is teaching us something even in this moment. The third tip I have is to say thank you for what you do have. Say thank you for what you do have. First Thessalonians 5.8 says give thanks in everything. No disclaimer, everything. We see the pattern of godly men and women in the Bible rejoicing in everything from cover to cover in this book. And so my tip to you is let's wrestle our hearts into submission. Let's hit our knees on the floor in our time with the Lord and simply make a list. Not because you're feeling good, but I'm saying especially if you're feeling in the dumps tomorrow, especially if you're feeling lonely, especially if you don't feel thankful, get out your pen and paper and write down every single thing that God has given you against your own soul's will and see what happens. It's amazing what God does, how he shows up when we are thankful to him. Comparison really does create problems. It puffs us up or it crashes us down in despair. In our guts, our hearts, we get this sick feeling. The comparison never makes you actually feel better for long because we ache for that relationship. And you know what we do when we feel sick? We medicate, naturally. We look for an anecdote, we look for something to make us feel better. And far too often, I think, with this topic, our medication of choice, our drug of choice, is lust. That old liar who always overpromises and always underdelivers. The dictionary says lust is simply a very strong sexual desire. Funny how it doesn't mention anything about sin. 
Because the Bible calls lust exactly what it is. It's a sin. It actually separates you from love forever. The world is always trying to make lust seem like no big deal, right? Like, it doesn't hurt anybody. Like, it's private. It's just in your thoughts. Like, at least you're not doing anything with it, right? At least it's contained. Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't just affirm that lust is evil and from the pits of hell. He actually talks about how it's worse than you think. He raises the bar. In Matthew 5, 28, he says this. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does that sound like no big deal to you? I love how James, one of our pastors, said it at Summer Salt Company this year. Love is about what you give. Lust is about what you can take. Singleness for most is a painful, uncomfortable, lonely place. I know, but I promise you this. That if you want to waste the gift that you've received and run from the calling that God has on your life, then just do this one thing. Literally, if you want to waste all that, just do this one thing. Fantasize about having sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. Done. But if you want to believe that there's something better, if you want to believe that there's something better to live for, I think tonight God is calling you to pick up your cross, no matter what shape or size or relationship status it has written on it. Strap on the gloves and get in the ring because it's time to fight. And our fight for the idea that the Christian can be single and truly happy, round number two in the fight is to fight against lust. Okay, I wanna take you to a place that none of us wanna go. But I, wanna, I want you to imagine you got the girl, you got the guy, you got married, you had the family, and 30 years later, you're sitting in a counselor's office, and the person next to you is weeping loudly, painfully, because you actually cheated on this person. And this, that's exactly where I lost you, I know. Because our natural reaction to even imagining ourselves sitting in that chair next to somebody that we say we love doing such a horrendous thing to them, we all have the exact same reaction of I can never do that. That I would never cheat. I would never be unfaithful. I would never actually commit adultery. And it kills me to say this, guys. But I can't tell you, even in the past couple years, the handful of dear friends that I have had who have heard the messages, who have sat in these chairs, who have done the leadership thing, who have claimed that their lust was under control and ended up in those exact same chairs crying, fighting for reconciliation, some that would never come. And I know a lot of you are pained by this because you actually had to experience this pain firsthand. I'm going to tell you the wise words a man once told me that, the, and I'm going to butcher this, but the pathway to adultery, it is lined with individual stepping stones of lust. And tonight you need to ask the question, what is it going to be? What is going, what is it going to take for you to take your sin seriously? 
single friends out there, everybody who wants to be married, I know there's some of you that don't. You probably have the gift of singleness, but to the majority of you, that's not you. If you want to be married someday, listen to this. Do not wait to fight your sin. Do not wait to fight your sin when you're married, thinking that'll make everything better. If anything, it'll make it a magnifying glass. Here's a few things we all need to hear. First thing, you are not your sexuality. Like your sexuality does not define you at your core. So many of you are flooded with past failures right now. That does not have to define you. Some of you are like guilty hands as of tonight, this week, whatever. That does not have to define you. Some of you are struggling with same-sex attraction and don't know how to bring it up in your connection group. That does not have to define you. You are who God says you are, not what your sexuality says. And God says you are in Christ or you are not. You are in Christ. You are his beloved, adopted son or daughter who he wants to just pour his affection on. Or you are somebody he wants to bring you into that. You are in Christ or you're not. Are you stumbling? Maybe. But a stumbling saint, nonetheless. You are not your sexuality. Second, you are not missing out on a full life if you are a virgin. You are not missing out on a full life. You are not a victim of virginity, okay? That is not who you are. If you believe that to be true, then you are actually saying that Jesus was not fully man. Jesus never had sex, and guess what? He was far happier human than any of us. And finally, don't believe, don't believe with everything in you, do not believe that that moment of pleasure is actually worth forfeiting your soul for. Psalm 1611 says, you, God, this is David crying out to God, God, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Man, I love that. What a great God that we serve. There's a lot of great practical things that you can do in your battle against lust and sexual sin. Jesus has one idea, where if your eye causes you to lust, just gouge it out. Hardcore. But he's saying it is better to walk into heaven with one eye than to walk clear as day, willingly, through the gates of hell. Maybe tonight we can just meet him halfway and we can look at what we're watching. We can look at what we're gazing on our phones, the shows we're watching, the movies we're watching, the scenes that we're kind of looking away from and not quite, the stuff that is not actually affectionate, but it's stimulating. And we can take inventory of our lives. There's a million plans to help, so many good ideas. And I kind of put that on you and your connection group this week to make a game plan. But as we land the plane, as we start going here tonight, I want to tell you a crazy story. Okay? Again, sorry for the whiplash, but here goes nothing. A couple months ago, I'm in my house alone, and I'm getting a phone call. And the phone call, I don't have the number, so I mean, who answers the number they don't have? Not me. But it said, like, a certain area code of, like, Northeast Iowa, and I was like, oh, shoot, that could be my nephew's grandpa who's babysitting them, so maybe they're in trouble, he needs me, so I answered it, okay? And said, hey, Ryan, what's up? I said, what's up? 
um, who is this? And she says, well, it's Jessica. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, totally. What's up, Jessica? I don't know who Jessica is, but I'm just going with it. There's a lot of Jessicas out there. Um, what's up, Jessica? How are you doing? Oh, okay, what are you up to? Oh, no, I'm just in my house. Uh, are you coming? Crap, where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be? I'm starting to get kind of like, kind of sweaty, like nervous. Uh, where am I coming to? Um, bread garden on our date. Okay, I'm like, oh crap, this is bad. She goes, Ryan, are you coming to bread garden on our date? We've been talking for over a month about this. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, on that Christian dating app. I'm like, uh, Jessica, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have the Christian dating app that you're, I, uh, and I'm starting to mumble my words like this, right? But she starts to get emotional and hysterical. And Jessica starts to say, Ryan, how could you do this to me? And I start to say, Jessica, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, could your friends have done this? And I start to think through all my friends, the worst friends I have, I'm like, I don't think so. Who talks to a girl for a month and invites her on a date to ghost her to mess with me? That's terrible. Jessica, I don't know who it is. So I start thinking about you guys. And I'm like, who would do that even of you? I mean, come on. Somebody messed with me hard. And she, through tears, says, Hang up, I'm FaceTiming you to make sure this is actually new, you and you're not lying to me. And for some reason I hang up and I just say, uh-huh, totally, yes, absolutely, and I answer the FaceTime. I don't know why. And funny enough, I actually went on that date and things went really well. And she's actually here tonight to tell the success story. Jessica, come on up. I'm kidding, no. <laughs> So I look at my phone ringing, I make the decision to answer, and there in the FaceTime... Good content! <laughs> no, it was the entire Salt Company staff from the University of Florida playing a prank on me. <sighs> and I laughed so hard. Almost immediately, in stitches laughing, because guess what? That was an exceptionally good joke. This is why I tell you that story. Because if you are single, <laughs> this is a terrible transition, you're gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> Bottom line, it is not going to be easy. People know you're single. And the longer you go, the more they're gonna know it. They will remind you of that. And it will be funny. You will laugh. But then every once in a while, the laugh is over. You're all alone again. And you feel it. And that gut wrench comes back. That aching comes back and you realize, yeah, I'm lonely. This sucks. Loneliness is real. What do we do with it? And our fight for the idea that the Christian can be single and truly happy. Round three, the final round of the fight, is to fight for friendship. We're talking about fighting against, uh, what did I say? Looking around? Comparison. Gosh, thank you. It's running out of my mind. Fight against comparison. Fight against lust. 
but now fight for something, fight for friendship. John 15, 13 has hit unbelievably well this week. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. I love Jesus' style of friendship. It's hardcore, it's radical, it's intentional, it's exciting. When Jesus calls you his friend, he knows that you are lonely. He knows that you're lonely and he pursues you so well like nobody else can. There's kind of this opposite here that I want to draw your attention to. The idea of wallowing, where you can actually, you're allowed to be sad, Salt Company. You're allowed to be lonely and you're allowed to be sad. But wallowing, that's when your loneliness seeks isolation. And you start to push people away and you start to shell up and you start to not be the person who is thankful for this gift, even if it's hard. Wallowing on one hand, but I want to put that up against fighting for friendship. Fighting for friendship is not a ignoring of loneliness. It is a full acceptance of loneliness and all that comes with it, but you do something about it. I am arguing the response to loneliness is not just to be more romantic and put yourself out there. It's to actually fight for friendship. Don't be so obsessed with that girl or that guy that you can take out of this community. Instead, gift this community with your friendship. If you are single, we need you to be the best friend to us that you can possibly be. And I mean that. Don't wait until you're married to be selfless. I'll start serving somebody once I'm married. No, God gave you this gift. Now look around. Look around. Hundreds of potential friends you can enjoy, laugh with, cry with, road trip with. This is the friendship capital of the world, if you haven't heard that before. But it all hinges on one condition. If you want it here, you got to bring it. We say that a lot because it's true. If you want it here, then you gotta bring it. Don't sit around sulking, waiting for that one day when we need you here now. If you remember anything from this, just hear this. Be like Drake. Be like Drake. Not the Drake you're thinking of. The Drake who I hold so many salt leaders a standard to. A roommate I had in college. The most romantic of all of us had all these grand dreams. Want to talk about girls? <laughs> so I'm just gonna be throwing them under the bus for a couple minutes and then redeem it. But the dude just, man, he was, we always, he was gonna make the best husband and father ever one day. That was Drake. He was so warm and kind and fun. He treated people so well. We all wanted to be more like Drake. But Drake was single for much of his college career. Not only that, Drake was getting old. <laughs> Drake was not only old for his grade, he was a fifth year senior, ooh, which means he was pretty much a sixth year senior. But when I say to be like Drake, a sixth year senior who is single, I'm telling you, to be like Drake and be selfless. Be inconvenienced by others. Throw good parties. Reach out to people to actually hang out, to get to know them better, to see how they're doing. 
just be real. Drake's loneliness, his desires were not being met in the way that he wanted in the moment, but he did not wallow and sulk, he fought. And yes, now, of course, he has got a beautiful wife and a beautiful little daughter. He's amazing. Yes, love their family. But I'm telling you, that's how you fight for friendship. That's how you create a culture here that people aren't just trying to, man, my neck's getting sore from looking around for guys and girls all night. No, a culture where people serve each other and love one another, no matter what we can or cannot give one another. Let me close with this quote. I think it really ties a bow on things and we'll get out of here. Sam Alberry, who's a, a British pastor who has uh, been same-sex attracted for most of his life. He's a single man. He wrote a book called The Seven Myths of Singleness. I'd recommend it, it's pretty good. He says this in that book. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Do you hear what he's saying tonight, guys? Marriage is a great picture of the good news of Jesus. That he would love us, his church, so much that he would call us his bride. A bride that he would die for so that she could live. Man, that's the ultimate marriage. And one day, the wedding bells will ring in eternity and we will see the great groom covered in the scars that prove his love for us. And we will be more full than we ever knew possible. Amen. But what's also true is this, that singleness for the Christian preaches a powerful sermon. Not of romanticism necessarily, but one of power. The power of the gospel to be every single thing that we need in our life. Where every longing we have, every groaning and aching we feel inside is met by Jesus Christ himself. Where you might not have everything you want in this life yet. That is allowed to be true, but you mourn differently than the rest of the world. Because you don't have a God who holds out on you but one who loves, who delights to meet you where you are. A God who knows what it's like to be single through his 20s. A God who knows the depths of loneliness that you will never know as he hung on a cross and died by himself. Guys, you wanna be happy? Like really happy? Like complete, whole, content? I'm telling you that it will really have nothing to do with your marital status. It's gonna have everything to do with the status of your relationship with Jesus. Turn to Jesus, guys. Turn to Jesus and find the one that you've been looking for. A theologian, Frodo Baggins, leaves us with this. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given to us.
So I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to pray. We're going to practice just giving thanks to God in worship. Let me create some space here. And I know we're wrestling with a lot. I know some of this stuff might not go down easy. That we have a God who is gracious and wants to meet us no matter what we're feeling right now. So let's pray if you bow your heads with me. I'm going to read Psalm 16 as a prayer over us tonight. And it says this, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good beside you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves, those will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion. You are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful servant to see decay. You reveal to me the path of life. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. God, would you just give us a taste of that tonight? By your grace and your grace alone, would you just give us a taste of that tonight that we would see you clearly? That we would see that you're the one that we've been looking for. You're the one who's been looking for us. Here we are, Lord. Would you heal the deepest places in our lives that need satisfied, whether we're married, single, or somewhere in between? Would we just live lives sold out for you? pleasing to the Lord and walking in the shadow of the cross every step of the way. God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you.